0: This year, we used more streaming services and more were ad-supported. Many of us did without Pay TV and Discovery Plus gained millions of new subscribers. Listen on to hear four data points that illustrate the year in streaming.
1: Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and that was Colin Dixon from In Screen Media at the beginning. Hi, Colin. How's everything?
0: Uh, it's great, Will. I'm really. Uh, I was reflecting on the year that was this week, and uh, I was thinking how happy I am that we rebranded our podcast Inside the Stream. I really, <laughs> I, that really works for me. I really enjoy enjoy that name. I hope our listeners do too.
1: I agree. I like the name also. And I think we're um, right in step with the industry, which is exciting. And we have a, speaking of being in step, we have a few data points. Today's podcast is about a few key data points that you have collected that show some of the progress of the industry, which I think is pretty cool. And before we get to Those, we have our couple of stories that hit our radar this week, and you are going to start off.
0: I am, Will, and so my story is about Netflix, and Netflix, it has slashed, and I mean slashed, the price of Netflix in India. The Wall Street Journal says that it has cut the price 60% Yes, 60% to 199 rupees, which is about $2 and 61 cents. That's for the basic plan. There is a mobile plan, which is even cheaper, a mobile only plan for $1.95. Uh, and it has a it's more expensive plan, which I guess includes HD and, 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 and maybe more streams at $8 and 51 cents. So boy, I bet that's gonna have an impact on the average revenue per unit when we look at that data. Uh, in Q1 of 2022 will so that's that's a really big change Uh, and this of course is something that they they're really working on they had very little success in India at the beginning because they were just charging way too much they cut the price and Craig Peters who is Netflix chief Product, product officer he said at the time that they would try that and see what happens and it looks like they didn't cut it enough so they're cutting it some more.
1: Yeah, those are pretty substantial price drops that they've done in India and it certainly seems like it's a pretty significant bid for increased market share there. You don't see prices going down too often especially in streaming. I'm trying to I'm literally trying to remember the last time that we saw a price decrease the The only one that comes to mind is when Hulu dropped the price of its ad-supported subscription service. And that must be at least, I don't know, that's probably at least four years ago at this point, don't you think?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you're right, it was Hulu. That's the other one I can bring to to mind as well. But, you know, look, the Indian market is really brutal for U.S. providers. Um, Star is the number one service there. And it is, Netflix is now down in Star territory. It's, it's about the same price, I think, as Star, uh, which is by far the most dominant uh, service. And that, of course, is owned by Disney, which it, which it ended up owning when it purchased Fox. Um, and I've got to tell you, I mentioned the ARPU. That is having a brutal impact on the ARPU that uh, Disney, Disney talks about when it talks about uh, Disney Plus so I've got a feeling that poor Netflix is going to be suffering the same problem but anyway what was what was the story that you saw that caught your eye this week?
1: Well speaking of Disney what caught my eye is that we have yet another standoff on the carriage front the latest one being between Disney and YouTube TV And, of course, it wasn't that long ago that YouTube TV was embroiled in a standoff with NBC Universal. They did end up resolving that one. The new one with Disney's channels is up for renewal, it seems, late on Friday night. So we'll be publishing just before. So um, a lot of people will be listening to the podcast after something happens on the Disney YouTube TV front. Likely an extension. We've certainly seen this movie many times before where companies get right up to the deadline and then they, instead of having a blackout, they end up doing some type of a temporary extension. But as you pointed out prior to when we started the recording, we're starting to bump right up against the holidays. So there isn't that much time left, even if they did an extension to, unless they did an extension all the way through the holidays and into the new year. So remains to be seen. But It's a whole bunch of Disney channels ESPN, of course included ABC is in there FX freeform lots of others and It seems like the key here is that YouTube TV wants to be now with over 4 million subscribers wants to pay a rate commensurate with its size which is probably only fair for it to request and it was paying above market rates, no doubt, before because it was in its earliest stages, no doubt, when the deal first deal got uh, done. So um, we have yet another standoff, right, Colin?
0: We do, and you're, you're you're correct, Will. I think the all of the virtual MVPDs when they got started were paying a pretty hefty premium for the for the content that they were licensing from the programmers and yeah it looks like youtube is basically going from program to program and saying hey give me credit i i need the same yep. pricing that you're giving to some of your preferred providers and disney doesn't want to give it and nbcu didn't want to give it uh, <laughs> so i got a feeling we'll be seeing this running into next year as well but what a what a nasty christmas present for all youtube users what will you do well you're a, you're a youtube
1: tv user aren't you <laughs> I am, but it's interesting. I really don't watch much of the Disney channels. I watch some ESPN, not a huge amount. So YouTube TV sent an email to subscribers, I'm sure you received it as well, saying that if they can't come to terms with Disney, they're planning on reducing the price from $65 a month to $50 a month. So they're basically telling subscribers expect a $15 a month discount if a price, uh, uh, drop going back to what we were talking about with Netflix. So here might be another example, $15 price drop per month if they don't come to terms. And I have to say, I don't know if I watch 15, if I feel like I watch $15 worth of ESPN every month. So I might be actually a happy subscriber if they were to drop it. How about you?
0: (laughs) Well, uh, Uh, youtube tv is not the only virtual mvpd that i have well i also have sling tv and um, so i I would still have access to espn and several other channels through through that service Uh, but i mean what it really serves to tell everybody that's that's a pay tv subscriber it tells them just how much they're paying for those disney channels fifteen dollars a month Goes specifically for the Disney channels and that's, that's a big chunk of their subscription isn't it?
1: Well it's the biggest chunk no doubt Disney's channels are the most ESPN is the most expensive we know that and the group of the rest of them all total to the biggest amount so I think if they sign a deal, a new deal, rather than the price going down, we're probably going to hear from YouTube TV pretty soon saying, "Guess what? Your price is going up by another five dollars per month or more." Um, so if they pay more, they're going to try to pass that on uh, anyway. Um, so so
0: that's yeah.
1: So let's let's move on, Colin. Um, we'll certainly keep an eye as that unfolds over the weekend. As I said at the beginning, you collected four interesting data points that show the industry's growth and evolution over this past year, a little less than a year. And you want to share those and then we're gonna dig into those a bit.
0: Yep, yep. So uh, the first one I wanna share is the number is 8.8 and that is the number of video services used by the average adult in Canada, Canada and the US in the first half of 2021. This comes to us courtesy of TiVo, uh, their Q2 2021 Video Trends Report. And they're just about to release another one. So we'll have to see what happens, see if that continues to go up. And the interesting thing, I think, uh, driving that the big increase in this number, I mean, it really was a big increase, Will. They say it went up from 6.9 in Q4 2020 to 8.8. So that's almost an increase of 2 in, in the first half. And I gotta tell you, Will, I'm putting this down to the fasts and Avod, this just rapidly expanding market. Uh, one of the things that all of the smart TV manufacturers are doing now is they're really putting these smart channels right in front of consumers. And I think there's just every time somebody buys a new device or a new TV, it's another opportunity for them to discover the fast channels fast services and start using them. So I think that's where the big increase comes from.
1: Yeah, we don't want to steal too much of your thunder from your later data point, Colin, about the rise of AVOD versus SVOD. But no doubt, free is huge. And Roku has been saying that now for years, that that was this top search term was free. And to your point, the more that those free services are put right in front of viewers at the startup point, the more consumption they're going to drive.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I really think that, uh, you know, there's just this is just the perfect time for fasts. What we're seeing is we're seeing older Americans, and the real laggards of streaming are now coming in. Um, you know, most of them are now coming to streaming. And they bring with them uh, an enjoyment for the linear format. And I think these just, when they come and they, they check out their smart TV, their new smart TV, and they see these channels there, they just feel right at home and start watching. So I think it's pretty much perfect timing.
1: Absolutely, and perfect timing also relative to connected TV's popularity as well. The more people bring home a CTV, fire it up, see those fast channels right in front of them, It just drives, as we were saying, just drives more and more consumption. Nice flywheel going on. Um, Anyway, what's the second data point, Colin?
0: So the second one is 55.7 million. And that is the number of U.S. households that don't have cable, satellite, or telco TV service. Um, so I wanna, uh, let me explain a little bit how I get that number. It's, it's there's a lot of bits that I pull together here. So first of all, I pull together the number of reported pay television households and I use, um, you know, the company reports. Um, I keep a very close eye on Bruce Leishman's numbers as well. And I wrap in, I, I mean, I just pull in the data points as they come in in the news on all of this. The other thing I you've got to have here is you've got to have the number of occupied homes in the US, and that has been steadily increasing. It now sits at about 126 million, 126.3 at, at, at mid-year. Uh, and this is a US census data, so I, I, that's what I'm using there. So when you munch all of that together, um, that's how I figure out that there are 55, nearly 56 million homes today that do not have Uh, traditional pay TV. And if you look back to 2014, Will, it was only 15.6 million. So it is almost three times higher today than it was uh, in in 2014, which is, I guess, seven years ago, uh, eight years ago. So that's an enormous increase. And I, I have to say that one of the reasons why I was looking so closely at this number is mid-year, I was trying to figure out what happened with the Olympics because TV viewership was down so heavily. And I gotta tell you, the difference between the 2016 games and the 2021, I guess, or 2020 games in 2021 is this massive increase in the number of people that don't have cable, satellite and telco. It was 21 million didn't have it in 2016 and more than double to 55.7 this year. So I think that was a big factor in the drop uh, in the audience for the Olympics this year.
1: So said another way, Colin, if we looked at the number of people who actually do still have a pay TV service, and we included the 10 million or so, give or take, who have a virtual pay TV service, as we were just talking about, YouTube TV. I think we're agreeing that there are somewhere around 70 million, 70 million-plus U.S. homes that still pay for some type of a pay TV service, regardless of who is actually providing that, whether that's a cable company, a satellite, telco, or something delivered over the Internet, right? We're sort of 70 million-plus, give or take?
0: That's about right, Will, yeah.
1: And that number is down quite a bit. I wasn't that long ago when I remember that there were 90 million or 95 million pay TV subscribers in the U.S.
0: In fact, it peaked, I think, about 2014, just over 100 million homes. Yeah. Uh, and and at that time, I think there were about 120, just under 120 million occupied homes. Uh, so that was that was pretty impressive. And one of the things that actually helped pay television surge was when, I don't know if you remember this, when we went from uh, traditional broad- over-the-air broadcast TV and we switched to digital ATSC. Yep. That yep. helped push the number up to record levels. So, yeah, that was, that was a big factor there.
1: Right. That was the last big surge, I think, that we saw with pay TV subscriptions was the digital transformation, so-called.
0: That's right. That's right. And I got to tell you, you know, it, your news item, uh, the fight between YouTube TV and Disney, um, I've, we're already seeing it. We're already seeing the big providers, big pay TV providers are talking about big increases in prices. Comcast just announced um, a big increase in prices taking taking effect in January. Now, I have to say it's not evenly distributed. It's dependent on what, where you live in the country and what's what you have. Um, but boy, those increases are just uh, just really piling up, and that that spells even more big trouble for big for the big bundle. Whether you're getting your big bundle from a virtual pay TV provider like YouTube TV, or if you're getting it from a cable company like Comcast or Charter, uh, the price is going up. Well, well, I I don't know if it is going up ahead of inflation anymore. Will with inflation as high as it is right now, but. Uh, it's certainly going up as fast as it's ever gone up. Uh, there's no hiding those increases anymore by the operators.
1: Fair enough. Let's move on to the next data point column, because obviously it's what we're talking about. Is no secret. Change is happening. Cord cutting is happening. Cord nevering is happening. And the big cable TV networks are and broadcast networks are recognizing this and have moved aggressively to launch these direct consumer services. One company, Discovery, seems to actually be getting some pretty good traction and you observed their growth in 2021 since the widespread launch of Discovery Plus and want to share that as well.
0: Right, right. And so my next number is 20 million and that's the number of paying subscribers to Discovery Plus in Q3 2021. And of course, it launched in January. Um, And i got to tell you, Will, this number surprised me. It really does and I still look at it and and I'm still surprised by this number and the reason is that Discovery Plus does not include the latest episodes of hit shows from TV. So all your favourites from Home and Garden TV, Food Network, TLC, etc. You cannot watch an episode that has just broadcast on television on Discovery Plus and in fact you won't be able to see any of the episodes from the current season and when I saw that I I really thought that the service would really struggle I thought it would maybe get to five million at the end of this year but boy was I wrong I really underestimated the draw of stars like Joanna and Chip Games the Property Gut, Property Brothers, Bobby Flay, Giardia De Laurentiis these these guys really do seem to have a big draw with their fans. All of them are doing originals for Discovery+. Plus and that strategy really seems to have paid off pretty handsomely for the service. So, I don't know, were you surprised? I certainly was.
1: Well, one, one quick clarification, I think, is that they started the year with about 6 million subscribers in other markets. So the launch in uh, earlier this year included the U.S. and other international markets. But they've probably gained, what, probably around 14 million or so, 14 million plus in this calendar year. And the I think your point is... is very appropriate about what's actually available on Discovery Plus. A bunch of the TV shows aren't, but to your point, some of their biggest stars have launched new shows for Discovery Plus. So it, it's kind of uh, you know some pluses and some minuses. Discovery Plus is also a relatively affordable uh, SVOD service, lower on the lower price side. And now we're going to see eventually when the Warner Media deal closes, we're going to see some pretty aggressive bundling between HBO Max and Discovery. Don't you think?
0: I think we are, and you're right. It is pretty reasonable. I think it's like five bucks or six bucks with ads. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you're willing to watch ads, and uh, I'm almost certain that they'll do a bundle. One thing I'm not certain, and I think would be a mistake, is if they combine the two services. Uh, but I don't think they'll do that at least not in the short term I think in the long term they're gonna leave these two separate and just do the bundle the bundle really seems to be working remarkably well for Disney um, Disney of course is bundling ESPN plus Hulu and D- uh, Disney plus and I think it's 15 dollars $15 a month for all three of those um, if you're willing to watch uh, ads on Hulu that is um, which is a pretty good deal and there's apparently a lot of people are signing up for that so I think that will definitely be an approach that they take this year, uh, next year, rather when they when the two services combine. Um, but uh, you know, one of the interesting things here, Will, is that I'm not sure. Um, uh, Discovery has definitely been moderating or changing its original content strategy as it goes along. So it was. I think it was originally planning on doing some originals. He was. They were, they were planning on doing something with. Um, a, a, they were doing a, a documentary on Louis C.K. They were going to do something with Kevin Costner. They've cut several of those projects, including those two projects, uh, and are really focusing. I think their attention now much more specifically on the real stars of of their TV networks as their as their real. Uh, real draw for people to join the service. So I think you'll see a lot more of that this year because uh, it, apparently it's working extremely well for them.
1: Seems to be, yeah. And uh, I think we are up to our fourth data point, which ties back to the first one. And we didn't want you to get too far ahead of yourself there, but some new data from uh, T-Vision about the growth of AVOD versus SVOD.
0: Yeah, and so I want to. So here's the data point, but I want to caveat it, and we'll we'll get to the caveat in just a second. So the data point is thirty seven percent and thirty two percent, and this is what the company the company says that thirty seven percent of the time, uh, the Americans spend watching uh, streaming. Thirty seven percent of the time was spent watching ad supported VOD, and thirty two percent watching subscription VOD in Q3 2021. Uh, So that means according to T-Vision that more people are watching AVOD versus SVOD or at least that's the way they've been pitching it in the press or it's been pitched in the press. But I dug into the numbers Will and what I found was something a little odd. Um, They actually, T-Vision is actually classing Hulu as an AVOD service. And that is not the way we normally classify Hulu. Hulu is normally classified as an SVOD service. The reason is simple. The accepted definition of AVOD is it's ad supported VOD that is free or has a substantial free component. So, you know, under that definition, Tubi qualifies, Peacock qualifies, but Hulu doesn't because there is no part of Hulu that is available for free anymore. Uh, And actually, if you go back and you, if I go back and reclassify some of these more questionable classifications, uh, for example, they say Discovery Plus is AVOD as well. uh, But as as I say, by the definition of AVOD, it doesn't qualify because no part of Discovery is free. If you change change that around and, and go with the standard definitions, then you can't say that SVOD view, AVOD viewing is higher than SVOD in Q3. So I actually reached out to T-Vision to get some clarification. And what they're really saying here is that more people watched more with ads, streamed more, excuse me, with ads than without ads and I think that is probably true and I'm, I'm certainly willing to accept that their data shows that uh, but anyway wh- whichever way you count it it's still a pretty amazing number it's, uh, it was, it's been all about SVOD up until about the last a year ago or so it was all about SVOD and boy has AVOD grown so quickly.
1: I think we're starting to hit a cap on the number of paid services people are going to take obviously we talked earlier about how the avod services have been promoted so heavily and of course the quality of them has improved so much but you think the other piece of this is that there's just we're starting to hit in hit against people's willingness to pay for numbers more you know more services than ever
0: i think that's true will at the moment Certainly people that are also paying for pay television subscriptions, they're, all, they're paying a lot of, of money for their subscriptions. And uh, I think until more people stop paying that, that big rate for the single pay TV subscription and free up a bit of revenue, that they are looking for a lot of free stuff. I think that is definitely an, uh, an aspect. But I've got to tell you, Will, the, the thing, the attractive thing about uh, free... Is that there is no barrier to try it. When you have to sign up and give a credit card, that is a big barrier, and people just don't want to do it. I don't want to do it when I come when I when I, when I see a new service. I don't want to give them my credit card uh, because, well, you know, I'm worried about the security of that credit card, the the, the credit card data. Uh, but when you've got a free service. There's no barrier you don't have to put a credit card in you can just give it a try and I think that is a big aspect uh, a big reason why Avod has grown so quickly over the last over the last 18 months or so and uh, I think it's going to going to continue to grow very fast I mean, one of the other stories I wrote this week was I was just looking at the activity in the fast market and All I can tell you is that you are going to see a heck of a lot more channels coming your way in fast services in the next year because I see people launching, like, was it Uh, Pluto launched a bunch of channels last week Um, and so did Samsung TV+, Plus. Vizio just added a ton of AVOD content to their service uh, all for free, so I got a feeling we're going to see a lot more viewership and Maybe maybe uh, our friends at T-Vision will legitimately be able to claim that AVOD viewing is uh, outstripping SVOD this time next year.
1: Yeah, I think your point on credit card resistance is also really valid. And it's for more than uh, the reason you said it was security. I think that's a very legit reason. I think the other is that people just worry that they'll put their credit card in and they'll forget to ever turn off the service and they'll just get charged month in and month out. It's part of human nature, the inertia and not checking bills closely. And um, when times are a little bit tight, people, I think, tighten up their belts and they don't want to just enter their credit card for another subscription service, especially when all these free options are available. The company that I think maybe benefits somewhat from that type of fatigue is Amazon, where the credit card is already on file and you can just sign up for the various Amazon channels directly through the service. So we talked about that several months ago. That doesn't necessarily benefit the long-term value of the underlying SVOD services, although it does have the effect of adding to their numbers of subscribers. So it's it's a little bit of a confusing time right now, I think, because it definitely feels like there's some shifts going on in the market.
0: Oh, I think there definitely are. Will and you, you draw out a good one with with Amazon. That is a bigger, big advantage. But you know, one of the biggest problems with Amazon and its combined, you know, it's, its um its channel service, which is an S aggregation service, is it doesn't have the top four services anymore. Right. And uh, you know that's a real problem for them. It does have Discovery Plus but it doesn't have HBO Max, Hulu, Disney Plus, Netflix, Um, many of the bigger providers are choosing to go their own way and, and are confident enough in their brand's ability to draw new consumers that they don't feel they need the assistance of a service of an aggregation service like Channels. So that's an increasing problem for them going forward. So the, you know the benefits of a single bill and easy billing is one thing, but you've got to offset that offset that against the fact that you don't get that the unified view that you were hoping for and the single management because you're probably already subscribing to one or two of those big services anyway.
1: Right. I think that's I think that's all very fair, and it, it sort of makes you wonder what is the long term. How, how does the long-term play out for channels? Does it become more of a niche type of opportunity that becomes tied to your purchase behavior and things like that, that Amazon is able to promote these channels?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think one in the short-term, Will, it's bringing change. I mean, one of the things, one of the criticisms that can level, leveled at channels and Amazon is they just don't give any data about- Right, of course. To the content providers and uh, they're changing and Discovery is a close partner. And they're trialing in the in the um, uh, European market. They're trialing a new much more open data data exchange between the two uh, in that market. So you know that's a that's a big change and we'll see if they continue to change to try and entice new new content providers in.
1: We'll see how far Amazon goes with that. I'm I'm a little bit skeptical on that one, Colin, as you know. <laughs> yeah yeah, me too. Anyway, I think we've covered a ton of ground here this week on the podcast. We are planning to cover a ton of ground on next week's podcast as well. We're going to look at some of the biggest stories of 2021. We weren't able to do our live, our planned live version. We had some scheduling issues, but we're going to cover a bunch of stuff next week too. So I think that may be it for today, right?
0: I think so. I'm looking forward to it. I don't know which which one are we going to anoint as the number one story. Boy, there were so many good stories this year. Anyway, uh, looking forward to that discussion next week.
1: Sounds good, Colin. Thanks, everyone, for listening in on this week's edition of Inside the Stream. And we'll see you all again next week.
0: Inside the stream is a production of end screen media and video news, all rights reserved.